0: But uh, it is good to see you all here this morning to worship the Lord together this morning, and uh, glad also you could join us. If you are joining us for your stream this morning, pray that this would be a time of encouragement to you. I say, pray that it will be for all of us this morning. Uh, let me give you just a few, um, some announcements. I'll try to be very quick with these uh, before we go to the Lord and worship him through some songs this morning. Uh, first, um, I did send a, a newsletter out this week, but in case you did not receive them, um, we are uh, giving everybody the option uh, to uh, remove their masks uh, while they are, are seated and, and maintaining social distancing. Um, so we do ask that you would keep them on if you are moving about, um, th- you know, throughout the building. Um, but uh, if you are seated, like I during the time of the sermon, if you are seated and just not moving, you can remove their mask if you, if you desire to. If you want to keep it on, you are more than welcome to do that as well. Um, another announcement is that uh, I have is that... Um, after the service today, uh, just a reminder that we do have a uh, members meeting. Um, if you are a regular attender or, or visitor, you are you, you, you can certainly stay for that if you want to. Uh, but for members, we are asking that you would please uh, remain for that meeting. Um, if you are joining us live stream uh, for that meeting, um, uh, just make sure that you, uh, that you uh, declare who you are, that you just make sure that you identify yourself through the chat box on, on Zoom so that we know who you are. And uh, some of you know, if you are a parent, that you have, uh, that there are children's, uh, some activities. One is happening today at 4 p.m. via Zoom. Um, if you, uh, if you have no idea what that is, or you want uh, to know more about it, uh, please see uh, Rhonda Stevens or Susan Patton. Uh, Rhonda Stevens is right down here. And if you don't know who that is, uh, please feel free to come after me, uh, come after me, but <laughs> not come, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, But uh, come see me after the service, and now I'll point you to one of those two ladies. Um, Also, with regards to kids, uh, we are opening our our Sunday school uh, program in the mornings at Sundays, uh, 9 a.m. on May 2nd. Uh, So if you have kids, you want to bring them for that, please feel free to do that. Uh, We did originally intend to also roll out with our our, our adult Bible study uh, during that time as well for May 2nd. Um, We're kind of uh, postponing that for another date um, where our uh, changing the topic uh, So we originally were going to do the book of revelation, but we'll we'll do, we're going to do something different so I'll, I'll give you some more information um, as soon as kind of we, we nail down uh, dates and, and topic and then also just make sure that you are look at the bulletin insert as well uh, that you have uh, in front of you, hopefully, but um, one other thing I want to quickly mention that it is coming up and that's on May eighth uh, from one to two thirty is a women's fellowship event. Um, make sure you look at that bulletin because it tells you whether if, if it'll be at the church or if it'll be at, uh, at my house. If that's the case, then I will be kicked out of my house. Uh, but um, pay attention to that. It'll be determined on the, the, what the weather is like. So, so those are the announcements I have. Let me read to us our call to worship this morning found in Psalm 9, verses 1 and 2. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Let's go to the Lord and let's worship him this morning.
1: Amen. You guys just invited to stand and sing these beautiful praises to our great God today. Before
2: the world was me, before you spoke it to me, you were the King of kings. Yeah, you were, yeah, you were, and now you're reigning still, enthroned above all things. Angels and saints cry out, we join them as we sing glory to God, glory to God, glory to God forever. name, all my days, all my days, so let my whole life be a blazing offering, a life that shouts and sings the greatness of our King. God, glory to God forever All the glory to God Glory to God Glory to God forever See take my life take my life and Take my life and let it be yours So take my life and let it be yours A thousand times I've failed Still your mercy remains. And should I stumble again, still I'm caught in your grace, everlasting. Your light will shine when all else fades, never ending. Your glory goes beyond all things. In my heart and my soul,
1: your will Your
2: will above all else my purpose remains the art of losing my soul in bringing you praise everlasting your light will shine when all else fades never ending your glory it all. I give you control, we pray, consume me from the inside of Lord, so let justice and praise become my embrace. Control, consume me from the inside out Lord, let justice and praise Become my embrace To love you from the inside out And everlasting, your light will shine When all else fades, never ends Your glory goes beyond all things, and the cry of my heart is to bring you praise from the inside out, Lord my soul, cries out from the inside out, Lord my soul, it cries out
1: Gonna, we're just fixing our eyes, our attention, our minds just on what, who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And just this first line of this next song, I love it. <clears throat> I cast my mind to Calvary. And I love, that, I love that part of singing together is we're just helping, we're reminding each other what our story is, right? And how beautiful and powerful is that? Just reminding each other, hey, there's a cross, there's forgiveness, there's grace, there's an empty tomb. We just remind each other by singing. and One of the things the Bible says, one of my favorite things, we're not just singing to God. We're also singing to each other. It's just a crazy, beautiful, powerful thought if you think about it. So that's why corporate worship is so powerful. And uh, we're just reminding ourselves today of what our story is in Jesus. The hope that we have in Jesus. Whatever you brought into the room, whatever you're facing, whatever you're struggling We just reminding each other today that there is hope, that there is life, that there is joy, that there is peace. These things are possible in Christ because of the cross, because of the empty tomb. Amen. Let's just do this together.
2: I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus pledged. And died for me I see his wounds His hands, his feet My Savior on That cursed tree His body bowed And drenched in tears They laid him down In Joseph's tomb, the entrance sealed by heavy stone. Messiah still and all alone. Come on now. Oh, praise the name of the Lord. gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. So praise the name of the Lord. You take it now. Come on. Oh, praise
0: Read us Psalm 1 and then go into a time of prayer. Prayer will be a little different this morning. I'm going to attempt to introduce a little variety and what better way than to read a psalm and sort of uh, use that as a way, as a kind of a fodder for prayer. Let me read psalm 1 and then we'll transition to a time of prayer psalm 1 says blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sitters nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the lord and on his law he meditates day and night He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does he prospers but the wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand at the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray. O oh God of heaven, you are the giver of all good gifts the one who bestows his blessings upon those whom he pleases. Lord, and we come to you this morning as the the apple of your eye through the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We come to honor you. We come to worship you for who you are and for the blessing that it is to have you as our God and as our Heavenly Father. We desire to worship with the angels of heaven, Four endless days, proclaiming that you are our God. Lord, and we also come before you this morning because we desire to be blessed. Your word tells us that the one who is blessed is the one who does not walk in the paths of the wicked, who does not take his stand with sinners, and does not sit at the table fellowship of scoffers. The wicked, the sinner, the scoffer may now delight in their wickedness and in the fruit of their transgressions, but such pleasures, we know, are only momentary. When your judgment comes, they will not and they cannot withstand it. They will have no place at the table fellowship of the saints with Christ at the head of the table. Only those who delight in your word will dwell with you forever and ever. And Lord, we come before you this morning and we confess that we oftentimes take no delight in your word. Instead, we seek delight in entertainment, in worldly possessions, in hobbies, maybe even our work. And even in sin. Lord, our our hearts are often restless, and the reason why they are restless is because we have failed to find our rest and the delight of your presence. So God, we pray and we ask that you would help us to live out Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. God, help us to be a people who meditate on your word day and night. Lord, make our hearts and our minds captive to your divine word. May your word be sweeter to us than honey. May we believe and trust that it is your word that makes a person wise. Adam and Eve were on the pursuit of such wisdom, thinking that they could find it in transgression, but they were disastrously wrong. Wisdom comes from your word, and not just reading it, but also obeying it. And not just obeying it, but also delighting in it. Lord, may your word be a delight to us. May we be a people who are like trees planted by streams of water, always fruitful, always prosperous, always enduring. May we continue to drink up your word as a source of our vitality, of our sustenance, of our health. By our delighting in your word, may we be a tree that gives shade to those who are scorched by the heat of trials. May the fruit of our lives be life-giving to those who are hungry and are famished by the marathon of life. May we be a strong tower for the weak to lean on. Lord, make us delight in your word by the power of your abiding spirit to your eternal glory. We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So, If you would, please turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we'll be reading verses 1 through 4. So Philippians 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, but also to the interests of others. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we come before you this morning standing in the affection and the sympathy and the comfort and the encouragement that comes from Jesus Christ. Lord, and we pray for more encouragement, for more affection, which we know are available to us because you freely dispense it to all those with whom you are pleased with So we pray that you may comfort us and encourage us we pray that you may also correct us lord and with that correction that you would also mingle it with your comfort that comes in christ we pray in his name amen so my my youngest is well into the uh, the why phase, why this, why that, which seems like it's going on forever and ever. Always wanting a reason for everything that we tell her or tell her not to do or not to do. Like, can I have candy? No. Why? And I could go on and tell and say, well, because it's not time to have candy, because it's almost dinner time. I could say... Well, because uh, I, I, don't want you to have, I don't want you to have too much because I want you to take care of your teeth. I could say I don't want you to have any because I don't want to always give you what you want because you'll never learn discipline and self-control. Why? I could say all those things, but what I often say is because I said so. <laughs> In part, because it's so much easier to say than the other. But... It works as a sort of appeal. I'm sort of appealing to her based on my authority over her. But the other way, right, the first way functions as a much better appeal, right? I'm listing all these reasons why I don't want you to have candy. That works much better, but that's not always the case. That's not always how I respond. So we think about our passage this morning. So last week we talked about uh, the the unity that we're called to have, striving for unity. And we also talked about how even in the midst of trials and suffering and and persecution on account of the faith that we are still commanded to strive to maintain our unity and that even during our trials and personal sufferings that God means to communicate to us that we are His children. But the overarching uh, imperative or command is to let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of jesus christ that's the 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 command that hangs over the previous section that we looked at last week hangs over this section and continues even on to the middle of chapter two that's the main point to live a life worthy of the gospel of jesus christ so no matter what we're going through no matter the hardships to live a life manner worthy of the gospel of jesus christ And added to that command, Paul goes on to this passage and says, complete my joy by so on and so forth. So this is a command. But prior to that command, he gives an appeal to that command. And so I want to spend some time looking at that appeal and then looking at the rest of that command. So again, The main imperative is to live a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he begins here in chapter 2 saying, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. Now the question I immediately come up with, or I have in reading that passage, is who's the active agent behind that encouragement and comfort and sympathy? Who's the one who's giving the encouragement and sympathy and all these things? One answer might be, it's the church, right? So there's any encouragement and comfort and sympathy among God's people. But I don't think that's actually the case. I think that the active agent behind the encouragement and the sympathy is the Trinity. One reason being because, as we talked about last week, that even in the midst of our suffering, God means to comfort the Christian God means to sympathize with a Christian, and so I think Paul's continuing on that theme and talking about the encouragement of Christ. Not only that, but the reason why I say this is coming from the Trinity is because I think this is a Trinitarian passage. So any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit. So I think it is assumed that in the middle there, any comfort from love that it is comfort from the love of God. So Christ, God, and the Spirit, all functioning together to speak words of affirmation, to be sympathetic, to bring affection and comfort and assurance into the life of the believer, especially so in times of trial and persecution on the account of the faith or suffering, whatever that suffering might be. And so the encouragement in Christ is really better understood as a comfort that comes from Christ. And a parallel passage to that is 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 to 11. I won't read the entire, the entire passage. But it begins by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So there is a comfort that comes from Christ. And so the Lord intends to comfort his children with the comforts of Christ. Comfort knowing that Christ is risen from the dead, that the same power that rose Christ Jesus from the dead is the same power that seeks to speak into your life and speak words of encouragement to you. In times of trials, there is encouragement coming from the fact that in Jesus Christ, you have an eternal hope and future deliverance. So if there's any comfort or any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, from the love of God. Romans 5.3 tells us that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Dr. Edwards says that God's love is an ocean without shores or bottom. A Puritan by the name of Thomas Goodwin once said that as there are a variety of miseries which the creature, which is us, is subject unto, so he, that is God, has in himself a shop, a treasury, a treasury of all sorts of mercies divided into several promises in the scriptures. It's one of the reasons why we've been given our Bible, because we need it in times when we need encouragement. In times of trials, in times of suffering, we need the Word of God. That is why we must be people of the Bible. You need to know the promises of God. And one way to find encouragement in times of trials is to go to the Scriptures, seek out the promises of God, and and pray those promises of God back to God. Because God cannot deny the very promises that He's promised you in His Scriptures. That they're for our assurance, for our encouragement. And God means to communicate his encouragement to you, his comfort to you, through one another, of course, but also through his word. Continues, that there's any participation in the Spirit. In other words, if there's any fellowship or communion in the Spirit of God. In other words, if you truly have the Spirit of God reciting with you, if the Spirit of God is truly dwelling in the church, it's what He's pointing to. If there's any affection and sympathy. Here, affection is a showing of concern for someone's misfortune. And this is the kind of sympathy and affection that the Lord Jesus has for us that when we are in trials, when we are in times of distress, that there is a concern on the Lord's part for our misfortune, right? This is, Paul is pointing us to the tender mercies and grace and compassion and love of the Holy Trinity that is available to us, that is given to us. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says that he loved his own even to the very end that Jesus loves his people always and always and always. And just as Jesus promises to be with his church from now until the very end of the age, so his love is promised to be there as well. So we never need to fear that God or that Jesus, for some reason, withdraws his love from us when we are suffering, because for him to withdraw his love from us would be a betrayal of his own love. It would be a betrayal of his own character, really. So we can trust that in times of peace, in times of joy, in times of plenty, and even in times of lack, in times of suffering, in times of trials, that God's love in Christ continues to be constant. And so this is his appeal that gives way to his command. and that is to complete his joy. It helps us to to understand what does it mean to complete his joy. How do we complete your joy? And that is by essentially striving for unity. So Paul cared a lot about his own joy. Remember, this is an apostle who was in prison when he wrote this letter. And yet we've seen from the very beginning of the letter that this man is full of a lot of joy. Joy in the church, joy in the preaching of the gospel that is happening outside of the prison walls. He is a man who is rejoicing in his salvation in Jesus Christ. And he is commanding the church to enhance his joy. So he finds so much comfort and so much joy in God's church that he wants to encourage the church to continue to strive for unity. So much so that if they were filled instead with factions, with division, with disunity, that would have been much more agonizing to him, and much more tortuous than sitting in prison, or even to be beaten and tortured by the Roman soldiers. But this is Paul. That was back then. He says, the church complete my joy, but we're not completing Paul's joy because joy is not here, I mean, or Paul's not here. So whose joy are we called to complete? Well, one answer is that we are called to complete each other's joy we're called to enhance each other's joy. There's nothing wrong in saying that every time I come to church on Sunday mornings, I'm looking to enhance my joy and being surrounded by other believers in Christ and seeking to worship Him and seeking to hear from His Word. I am pursuing my own joy as I strive for unity with my brothers and sisters in Christ. So we enhance and we complete each other's joy by striving for unity with one another, but it's not just a completing of one another's joy, but this is a completion of my joy it's completing the joy of your elder pastors who according to Ephesians four is given or ephesians three to give in to the church no ephesians four given to the church by Jesus Christ himself it says gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. The elder pastors are there, sort of officers of unity in God's church. And so, when we are each striving for unity with one another, we are enhancing and completing the joy of the elder pastor. And just as it much, just as much as it would have been for the Apostle Paul, so much it would, it would also be, right? For even for me, to see the church filled with division and disunity, and so we're called to complete or to enhance each other's joy. And I've said this before that one of the reasons why he keeps pointing to this. He just keeps pressing into this point of unity, in part because I think that this particular church had some sort of disunity. We see that in chapter four. It's also because unity is important. I won't go into all the details. We talked about that last week, but unity is incredibly important to God, to the mission of Christ through the church. Paul says, if there's any of these things coming from God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So the same mind. It doesn't mean that we have to be in absolute agreement with one another about everything. But the idea is Christian solidarity. Solidarity that we all have the same mentality that is that we have a christ-like attitude towards one another a christ-like attitude towards each other is an attitude that always aims to show compassion and grace a christ-like attitude is being quick to forgive it's being quick to reconcile It's being quick to say i'm sorry a christ-like attitude is being kind And instead of assuming the worst in people and assuming the worst in people's intentions, it's always giving somebody the benefit of the doubt. A Christ-like attitude is not making assumptions about people's intentions, about what people are doing. That leads to disunity. But a Christ-like attitude always seeks to communicate. Because assumptions are oftentimes wrong. So we're called to have a Christ-like attitude, being of the same mind, and we're called to also have the same love. Now, some of you may be aware that in the New Testament, in the Greek, there are three three different words for love, eros, phileo, and agape, and some will argue that each word is a different kind of love, depending on how it's used it communicates the different kinds of love. I actually don't think I agree with that, because actually... The New Testament has those different words for love in the Greek, and they're all kind of pretty used used pretty synonymously. In fact, in ancient Greek literature, those words were used pretty synonymously. Now, what's helpful for us is that when it says that God loves us in the Scriptures, it's always God's love. It is not lesser, it is not a friendly kind of love, but it's always the same love, which is very different than how we define love today. We have one word, and that is love, but we define it in so many different ways. We describe it in so many different ways. We think about it in different ways. Today, love can be compared to an uncontrollable force. Yeah, I'm married, but the heart wants what it wants. Today, love is irrational and illogical, which will lead some to stay in a relationship where they're the object of verbal and physical abuse and then that they're still loving the person, the person's still loving them today love can be described as a temporary emotion well we fell out of love, that's why we got divorced we use the same word to describe our affection for our spouse that we do for how much we like ice cream or a car But God's love is God's love. Love in the scriptures is love. And that's encouraging because you never need to worry that God, for some reason, loved you today less than he did yesterday. Because God's love means his, that God loves. It means that you can be assured that he loved you yesterday as much as he does today and that he will still love you the same tomorrow. And that we are called to have the same kind of love. That tomorrow I'm not going to love you less than I do today. That even if you sin against me, it doesn't decrease my love for you. That my love isn't determined by what you do or cannot do for me. Because my love will always be the same, and that's the same—that's the kind of love that the scriptures are commanding us to have. So having the same love, full accord, and the same mind—it's all communicating the same idea that we must be united in our innermost being. And the same mind here actually is pointing us to the next verse in verse 5, pointing us to the example of Christ, which we'll look at next week. The passage continues. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In other words, don't be selfish. Now, I keep pointing us to the context here in in the book of Philippians, and thinking about what's going on in the passage. And right, these are the people who made up the Philippian church, right? There, many of them were Roman citizens, and Roman citizens, or the culture of Romans, was pretty much an honor culture. They were after the prestigious titles in those positions of honor that are looking to get ahead in life. And so, the idea here is that stop being so focused on one's pers- your personal pursuit of honor. Don't look at another person as a means to your own end. To think about other people to consider the needs of other people. Now, in ancient Greek, and here Paul is mentioning the word humility. Now, the word humility would have caused some people to get a little bit uncomfortable in the church because in those times, humility, people could not help associate the word humility with a slave. And to be humble is to have the mind of a slave. as opposed to the Roman pursuit of honor. And so Paul is forbidding the pursuit of selfish ambition. But instead, he's commanding the church to be humble. Humility is having a right assessment of yourself and also counting others as more significant than yourself. Now let's be clear, it doesn't mean that you are thinking less of yourself. It's not debasing yourself. But it means you're thinking less about yourself and considering the needs of others it's thinking more about others now to this church i'm going to wholeheartedly agree even for those who maybe are in high positions in the solar hierarchy social hierarchy like yes paul yes i get it yes i need to be humble I need to consider the needs of others. I need to count others more significant than me. I need to look at the interests of others. I totally agree. I want to change my mindset. I want to change my lifestyle. I want to fulfill the needs of others and definitely not just my own until they realize that the next person sitting next to them is a slave. Right? Because in the social hierarchy in that time, well, if if I'm up here, a slave technically is all the way down here. So, what Paul is saying, when you consider somebody more significant than yourself, it's not just elevating them to the same position that you are, that you think you're at, but it's even going further and making them even higher. Right? And how about for some of you? This is what theology meets practice. Right? We might affirm everything that Paul is saying until maybe perhaps there's somebody in the church that we have clashing personalities. Maybe there's somebody in the church that perhaps offended you and you have yet to reconcile with. Right? The scriptures is saying, making no exceptions. That means you're called to count the person more significant than yourself. See, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a, it's the great equalizer amongst all people because it makes no distinctions. The Jew or Greek, Gentile, no matter what your background is, no matter what social standing you're in, no matter whatever it is, the gospel make no, makes no distinctions. And so we're called to, not, to go above just thinking each other as equals but we're called to even think of one another as higher than we are. To think about ourselves less and think more about others. And one of the reasons, perhaps, why putting ourselves before others or putting others before ourselves might be difficult might be because, well, we, we might think that, well, nobody else will really care for me if I don't. But if we are all walking in humility, then we never need to worry about taking care of our needs because nobody else will. God is teaching us in his word that in his church, in his family, that the pursuit of selfish ambition and using others for our own ends is unchristian. And to only think about ourselves and not think about others is also unchristian. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 11 says that the haughty looks of man shall be brought low and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Matthew 5, 5 tells us, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The ones who inherit the earth are those who put others before themselves the ones who look to the interests of others and not just their own john calvin once said that selfish ambition and deceit are pests and diseases in god's church one of the most one of the devil's most effective means of of causing disunity in the church is tempting her members to be selfish it's getting people to want their own way pursuing their own ends, not thinking about each other's needs. But when we are striving for unity and walking in humility, what that does is provides sort of a hedge of protection around God's church. But when we fail to walk in humility and strive for unity, we leave ourselves open to the devil's nukes of temptation. Tempting us to be selfish. And as the harmful gases of the selfishness spreads to all people in the church, it ultimately will decimate God's church. One commentator says that for Paul, humility connotes a practice of living together in community before God in such a way that other people are given a dignity and respect as they too are seen in God's sight. If I can add to this, Definition of humility. So, humility is having a right assessment of yourself, counting others more significant than yourself, and it is also seeing one another through the lens of Christ. So, he says, Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. So that passage affirms the fact that we're not called to debase ourselves. Why right? Paul has a category here? The scriptures have a category here for not only thinking about and looking to our own interests. That's okay, but it's also including the interests of others. And the idea here is that there's a intentional effort. It's like looking critically as a judge or as a philosopher or as a historian, it's the idea here, such as, as the judge carefully weighs the evidence or as a philosopher thinks critically as he does his philosophizing or as a historian looks at these historical historical documents. So in the same way, we are to make an intentional effort to look to the interests Of others. And this is what humility humility looks like in practice. Now, how do you make such an intentional effort? What are some practical ways that you can make some intentional effort at looking to the interests of others? One way is by prayer. But first of all, you got to pray. And second, if your prayers mostly consist of prayers for yourself, that's fine. You need to pray for yourself but if you're always praying for yourself, you're never thinking about other people. But I guarantee you, if your prayers—if many of your prayers consist of praying for the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ, then I guarantee you, you'll start thinking more about others. Another one, easy, spend time with people. Have them over for dinner. Go out for a cup of coffee with others. In other ways, just simply asking. There's nothing wrong with asking somebody and saying, "Hey, you have anything you need this week? Anything that you could use that, a hand with?" Start thinking about one another as siblings, right? And stop thinking about one another as people who just simply come together to the church. The Bible says that the church is the household of God and that we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. 1 Peter 5, verse 5 says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Anxiety keeps us fixated on ourselves, thinking about what we need, what we need to get done, what our desires, our wants, these things that need to happen in our life. It's very, very insular. And the answer, according to First Peter, is to cast those anxieties upon the Lord. You can do that because He cares for you. Whenever we get so fixated on ourselves, and I understand, right, we have needs that we have to take care of, But we get so insular, there's no room for us to think about others. The answer is to cast those anxieties upon the Lord. And that liberates you, that frees you up to also think about others and think about the needs of others. So, to conclude, I want to quickly just return to this appeal that Paul makes. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, same love, full accord, walking in humility, counting others as more significant than yourself. Look into the interests of others. He's grounding his command in these wonderful things. Right, It's very similar to uh, the book of Romans is chapter 12, where he says, I appeal to you, therefore, it's by the mercies of God. Paul is making an appeal based on everything that he's written in the prior 11 chapters, talking about justification by faith alone, the comforts that we receive through the Spirit of God who prays for us with groanings too deep for words. When he's talking about the union we have with Christ, when he talks about the, the hope that we have From Romans chapter 8 and 9. All these things and so much more, I appeal to you by the mercies of God, based on all these wonderful things that we receive in Christ, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your act of spiritual worship. It's kind of the same way of saying, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. He's appealing his command by the mercies of God. Without that appeal, this really is an unchristian command. I mean, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Let each of you not look to, the, to his own interest, but to the interest of others. Those are good practical ways, even for unbelievers. But he makes his appeal to the mercies that are ours through Jesus Christ. So if there's a, this, if there's encouragement, if there's comfort, if there's any participation in the Spirit, it's almost kind of rhetorical. Like, of course there is these things in the Spirit. Of course there is these things in Christ. Of course there is these things in God. It's like my daughter this morning who asked her mom, Mom, can I have some chocolate because you love me? It's like, how do you argue with that? And that's the idea here. Paul is not wanting to, he's not inviting us to a conversation, to an argument. It is... Yes, there is encouragement in Christ. Of course, there's encouragement from the Holy Spirit of God. And if there are these things, which there are, then do these things. This is my appeal to you. Walk in unity. Walk in humility. And so the appeal is incredibly important. Because if you are, if you believe in the gospel of Christ, if you receive salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and these things are available to you. And so the PO stands for you. And if you have, right, if you, but if you are finding excuses or wanting to get into perhaps an argument with Paul and say, well, Paul, I, you know, maybe at a later time, maybe next week, maybe next season, because I got this going on, because I've got these things to take care of, and there might be something wrong with your heart. because this is an appeal without any excuse. This is an appeal that is not leaving any room for any arguments or any exceptions. So how do you live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? By striving for unity and walking in humility. And Paul continues in this appeal, and he continues in the next verse when he's talking about Jesus Christ and having the mind of Christ So he points to Christ as the example which we'll take a look at next week. Let's pray. Lord, you are a good God. We thank you for the incredible comfort and encouragement that we have that is available to us. Lord, and we want to We want to strive for unity and we also want to walk in humility because of the wonderful things that you have done for us in Christ and because of the wonderful things that you give to us in Jesus Christ. So help us to remember this appeal. Help us to remember the gospel and what Christ has done for us and let that be the primary motivation for us to look to the interests of others and to count others as more significant than ourselves. We thank you, Lord. We trust you for these things. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
1: Let's just stand together this morning just for a few more moments, and let's just reflect on what God is speaking and saying to us. Let's respond to it today together through song.
2: Everlasting The all-creating one God Almighty Through your Holy Spirit Conceiving Christ the Son Jesus our Savior And I believe in God our Father Our judge and our defender Suffered and crucified Goodness is in you Descended into darkness You rose in glorious light Forever seated high And I believe in God our Father Claire, I believe in You. Did I believe in You? Did I believe You rose again? I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I believe in life eternal. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion. And in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again. For I believe. In the name of Jesus, Mom, and I believe in God our Father. You got it. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name. For I believe in the name of Jesus For I believe in the name of Jesus
0: Amen. Let me read to us our benediction. It says 2 Corinthians 13, 14 The grace of the Lord is Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Uh, we will reconvene for our meeting uh, shortly, so please uh, take some time and just greet one another. And um, yeah, and we'll call.
1: Yeah, I just need you. So uh,
0: pull me head closer, head to the I come
2: to life. with you pull me closer, I come to life. Closer, I come to life.